0: Hello, I am Philip Kennedy. Thank you for downloading this podcast of the NYU Abu Dhabi Institute. We hope you enjoy listening to this. For more information about our programs, please visit institute. Thanks uh, very much for, for coming out. I uh, appreciate that. Um, I hesitated a little bit at first when uh, Justin invited to give me this talk. Uh, Because I actually don't particularly like journalists who try to be pundits, essentially posing as politicians or um, pretending to be uh, subject experts. I usually think that journalists should stick to providing uh, information for other people to make uh, their decisions. Um, Journalists usually work article by article, and they don't always have broad subject expertise. But I also thought that after almost uh, six years, when I really add up all the time of working on Alphanar Media, um, writing about Arab higher education and related topics, uh, the experience that I and my colleagues have gone through should add up to something. And this talk really was a useful opportunity for me to go back over that time period and sort of try to summarize what we've learned and the voyage that we've taken to learn it. Uh, Our learning hasn't just been in writing articles, but also in our encounters with education ministry officials, professors, students, Arab journalists who are interested in writing about uh, research and education and many other people. Uh, I would say upfront that the sort of fundamental question hiding behind this talk is uh, the main character of the movie, so to speak, is really how to improve the quality of Arab higher education in all its forms: uh, universities, uh, vocational education, continu- continuing education for adults, uh, which is scarce but would certainly be great, um, and sort of more even more informal education. Um, more broadly, uh, to cue back to Justin's theme, you know what does it mean to be an educated person, and what should educated people be interested in? Uh, Very briefly, for those of you who aren't familiar with Elphinar Media, our goal is to be a publication that covers higher education, research, and culture in the 22 countries of the Arab world. Um, When we started, we felt there was already enough coverage of primary and secondary education. I'm not still sure that's true, but anyways, we needed a focus, and that focus is on what is sometimes called post-secondary education. Uh, The publication is bilingual in Arabic and English, and my Arab colleagues feel extremely strongly that everything we should do should be bilingual, essentially to give Arabic speakers um, easy access to the information we provide, and also to give Westerners a window into Arab uh, education. We're uh, a virtual organization. Uh, We publish only online and we have sort of staff members scattered around uh, different countries, Morocco, uh, Egypt, uh, Lebanon. I'm based in London, which is a bit of a long story um, that I'll spare you, but that's where I am. Uh, I'm an American citizen, as you can probably figure out. Um, And as Justin said, I worked at the Chronicle of Higher Ed for a long time. Uh, I was fortunate enough to roam the world, uh, including the Middle East, looking at the world through this sort of peculiar lens of higher education and scholarship. Uh, And then at a time of financial difficulty for journalism, basically the Chronicle's global ambitions shrank, and I still was interested in working internationally. Uh, I crossed has with um, Salah Khalil, uh, an Egyptian businessman and philanthropist. And he was interested, uh, to a certain degree, in creating a kind of chronicle of higher education for the Arab region. Um, We've certainly evolved into something that's quite different from that, but that was at least the original intersection. Um, We initially did get our money from the Alexandra Trust, which is a UK-based charity. Uh, We went on from that initial support to get broader funding from the Carnegie Corporation, um, the Cairo office of the Ford Foundation, uh, long may they live, uh, Open Society Foundations, the UN Democracy Fund, and the Arab Fund for Social and Economic Development, which is based in Kuwait. Uh, I rattle all those names off only because initially many are suspicious uh, that we might be a proxy for someone with particular interests or um, viewpoints. And I would say that uh, I and my fellow editors really are uh, fiercely independent, and we really have been fortunate in that our funders uh, uh, don't really tell us what to write. There may be particular themes that we will pitch to them, which we are uh, care about covering and they care about covering. Um, but. We've never had any interference on an article-by-article basis. Um, Who reads us? Uh, I did a check just like an hour ago from our (laughs) digital development director for 2018. uh, And about 100 in the last year or so, about 195,000 readers have come from, from the Arab region itself. From U.S. and Europe, about 63,000 readers, and what in the publication business we call ROW, rest of world, uh, about 17,000. So a lot of our readership is uh, firmly uh, in the region. I would guess about a third of our readers come to us in Arabic. Um, That is a guess because if you go into Google Analytics, it says some people are reading us in French, and we don't publish in French. Um, so the analytics aren't particularly uh, accurate, but that's my, my best guess in terms of um, uh, other metrics that we have. Um, of course, many Arab readers do uh, uh, prefer to read and share in English. That's something we, we don't have any control of and control over. Uh, I expect we'll always be a nonprofit enterprise, uh, although I welcome revenue of other kinds. We do believe the cause of improving education and making it accessible to all is an important and worthy one, and that critical independent journalism is an important part of that. Uh, I learned over the weekend, as some of you may have done, that uh, Michael Bloomberg, the mayor of New York, gave Johns Hopkins University his alma mater $1.8 billion, uh, potentially the biggest gift globally ever to higher education. Uh, His gift will make it possible for the university to admit the best qualified students no matter what their financial resources are. I mean, I certainly hope that gift gets uh, repeated uh, in different places around the world. Um, I do think, and I'll talk about this later, um, uh, that money for scholarships isn't enough. Uh, It's certainly the most popular form of philanthropy around education. Uh, but there needs to be much more vigorous discussion, measurement, and critical debate about how to improve the quality of education. Uh, and though I'm clearly biased, uh, I think that good journalism does help support that debate. Um, and towards the end of this talk, although in general I see, ju- I see journalists as... Um, better off doing their best to stay neutral, uh, I'm going to sort of play a game in which I will say, like, if you put a gun to my head, what advice would I say about improving the quality of higher education? So that's where I'm headed. Uh, Often our media didn't appear out of uh, thin air. Uh, The Trust uh, had a workshop in Cairo in May 2012, basically to test the idea uh, and see... um, see if others agreed that people felt uh, it was really needed. Um, Here I'm just going to queue up a series of video clips. I thought I'd get all the technology over in one one fell swoop. Uh, The first one will be a woman speaking at, who's speaking at the Cairo workshop about whether we're needed. Uh, The second group is uh, uh, some young Arab journalists at a workshop where we were... uh, um, Uh, trying to encourage and equip them to write about education. And then the third clip is uh, from a workshop we held about uh, on the subject of refugee education that I'll talk about later. Um, Journalists, you know, we always like to quote other people to show that, you know, it's not just our voice that uh, is saying these things, but that there's other people that feel the same way, essentially. Um, So I will... Play these and try to play them in as rapid fire succession as I can. Different yeah. Arab countries do not know about the work of each other. straight to the هو ركن أساسي من أي دولة أنها تقدر تنهض وتقدر أن هي تشتغل بشكل كويس؟ لما رأيت أول مرة عن الفنار مادية عجبتني الفكرة لأنها مختصة وهي منبر أكيد منبر كتير مهم بيعبر عن مشاكل الطلاب سواء في لبنان أو بالعالم العربي أكل. سيكون ذلك عظيم الأثر على المنظومة التعليمية في بلداننا من خلال هذه الدورة التي شاركنا فيها التعلم في النسبة لأي شخص uh, when you've got unbiased media organizations like al Media reporting solid news, creating reports, surveys, articles, it's important because this records the history in which we can later look back at and say, this is where we went wrong, this is what we're going to fix, and then move forward from there. And that's why I think The more we write on education, the better our education will become. To build a better society, you need better education. And this is from a workshop, uh, I believe in 2015 uh, in Istanbul, that we were doing on uh, the topic of uh, uh, giving refugees access to uh, higher education. اليوم صار التعليم هو مهم للطلاب السوريين كون بعد الحرب وخلال الحرب أغلب الطلاب انقطعت عن دراستهم. Higher education specifically must be part of any humanitarian response to the crisis in Syria as well as the refugee crisis. It is important to deal with the higher education issue because if we neglect it, we're going to be facing security issues. We're going to be facing unemployability. really helped to create concrete practical coordination on the ground of all these initiatives and on a higher political level I think it has raised the political uh, awareness of the importance of the problem and um, and the type of solutions that we can work on together. Um, I will say that uh, at this first needs assessment that we did in Cairo, uh, not everybody was uh, encouraging. Um, There were some speakers there who suspected us of being part of the global neoliberal plot. Others who were uh, uh, suspicious of me personally, um, all of which is fine. I've got a fairly thick skin uh, and... um, I certainly hope my replacement will have been born in this region, uh, but the primary qualifications really uh, will need to be as a journalist. Um, I've focused on higher education for almost all of. Oops. Yep. Thank you. Uh, for almost all of my journalistic career, one of my first jobs was at a newspaper called Valley News in Hanover, New Hampshire. Uh, and my assignment was to cover Dartmouth College uh, and its medical center. Uh, and that was really, they were the area's largest employers, chief provider of health care, and main supplier of culture. Uh, I was also born in that town. Uh, I was a so-called townie, not the son of a professor. Uh, but the path between my home and my school literally went right through a college arts center. Um, giving me early exposure to modern art. Uh, I could go to the college film festivals, skate on the hockey rink, and take books out of the college library. Uh, I still remember the thrill of walking through the library uh, and the distinctive smell of old books, the murals of the great Mexican painter Orozco in the basement. I didn't really even know what I was looking at at the time, but I figured it out later. Uh, And in many ways, the perspective of Often, our Media staff members, including our Iraqi translator, uh, our Syrian managing editor, is permeated by this idea that universities should contribute to the culture available to all the residents around them and not just to their students. Um, early on in February of 2013, just as we were starting up, we were essentially a two-person operation. Uh, my uh, now managing editor, Rasha Fayek, Uh, was based in Amman, Uh, I noticed in one of the Jordan newspapers that the budget of the Ministry of Higher Education and Scientific Research had gone up by 27%, a pretty significant leap. Uh, So I asked Rasha to write about this, and she dutifully called the ministry up. Uh, The telephone rang and rang. Um, She called many times. Nobody ever answered the phone. Um... She took a taxi in and went to try to talk to somebody about the budget increase. Uh, and she was told she had to make an appointment. She asked if she could do that. She was told the person who made appointments wasn't in that day. Uh, we never did get a. Uh, we never did get an interview. Uh, the point of the story isn't that the ministry didn't take our calls. Uh, from my point of view, it's more that. The highest ranking administrators in too many arab institutions aren't accessible to the public and you're not going to get a debate about the future of education if those involved in steering it forward aren't in the room so to speak Um, when they do show up uh, too often at least some ministry officials take on the old-fashioned viewpoint that they are supposed to lecture and others are supposed to listen Parents whose uh, time and money is involved often aren't invited to the debate, and students are presumed to have nothing to offer. Uh, I was hastened to add, we have had some good interactions with ministries uh, in some countries, including, I would say, Lebanon, Tunisia, Morocco. Uh, And the Jordanian ministry, to its credit, is really one of the first Arab ministries that is um, looking at awarding credit for courses being taken online. Um, They're looking on a pilot on that topic that's running this ball. Um, Our research on quality control has been a significant part of our effort. We've chipped away at that in individual articles. And then last year, uh, our correspondents used an extensive standardized questionnaire um, to look at the legal requirements for opening and operating universities in Arab League countries. We were able to get results in 17 out of 22 countries. Uh, What we found, essentially, is that setting up a new university in an Arab country is a complex, elaborate affair subject to detailed regulation. Um, But the survey also found that after the licenses are issued, uh, government follow-up to check educational quality is usually weak or non-existent. As a researcher in one country put it, once an institution is licensed, you go; you are good to go forever. In more than half of the countries surveyed, getting a license for a new university requires things like submitting blueprints of buildings, proof of investment capital, CVs of administrators and professors, outlines of academic programs, and sometimes even landscaping plans. The final decision for licensing often rises up to the level of the president's cabinet. Uh, In Egypt and Syria, new university licenses even require a presidential decree. In some countries, such as Somalia, however, little regulation of the sector exists at all despite very rapid growth of private education. Uh, it's become a kind of wild west for investors with little protection for students and parents. And this certainly occurs in pockets in other countries as well. But generally, um, in Arab countries, quality assurance is a one-stop process. Um, oh, Sorry, I meant to say that there are five, five out of the 17 countries surveyed do have a follow-up mechanism in place to monitor quality. So those are Jordan, Bahrain, the United Arab Emirates, Morocco, and Yemen. Uh, commission here is charged with checking institutions every five years, as I understand it, to make sure that the higher education institution is in compliance. Uh, generally, it is a one-stop process, though. Um, and I quote, Uh, There is great strictness in the process of licensing universities, but once the licenses are granted, the follow-up process becomes weak, if not zero, said the Vice President for Academic Affairs at Polytechnic University in Palestine. Um, Some officials say that a major weakness of the quality control agencies that do exist in Arab states is that they're under central government control. Quote, our direct subordination to the Ministry of Higher Education makes us 100% restricted and unable to carry out our tasks, said the head of Tunisia's National Committee for um, ev- Evaluation, Quality Control, and Accreditation. Um, another thing that we've done to take a look at essentially quality control was to look at international accreditation of Arab institutions. And this basically just involved the um, painstaking process of going to the websites of international accreditors uh, and cross-checking to see which uh, ones accredited institutions in Arab countries. Uh, One of the things that we And then we created a searchable database, which, to my astonishment, is one of the most popular features on our website. I assume that it is um, uh, parents checking to make sure that the programs to which their children uh, go might have some uh, international um, accreditation. Um, In the process of doing that, we did find out, uh, we were surprised to find, I wasn't surprised discover there was weak accreditation, I was surprised to find that there's actually fake accreditation. Um, uh, so we tracked uh, one such phony organization, the International Accreditation Organization, down to a strip mall in Houston, Texas. Um, uh, you know, it produced uh, impressive stamps, uh, but didn't um, uh, actually do much work. Um There was a university in Palestine, I won't name it here, although it was named in our article that got a certificate from this IAO. We called up the director of the quality department there, uh, and uh, he said he'd found them on social media, and he hoped that its recognition would give his institution more credibility. Quote, we wanted to show our commitment to the international standards and to gain the confidence of local, regional, and international audiences. A discount the accreditation organization's officials offered also had some appeal. They said they had a special they had a special deal for Palestinian institutions he said so anyways the motivation was there, but the the results weren't uh, weren't quite right um aside from quality control, another major theme has been to cover uh arab region based research um in 2013, we did get support from the Carnegie Corporation specifically to cover research in the Arab world. Um, we added an additional reporter to do that. Um, I'm going to pause just for some personal reflection uh, I'm about this topic. I'm somewhat conflicted about the research role of uh, Arab universities. Um, Early in my career, as uh, Justin mentioned, I got a fellowship for journalists writing about science, and I remain fascinated to this day about um, research and hard sciences, social sciences, and humanities. I love reading about new research, um, watching the path of discovery. Um, I do think that uh, every nation would ideally have institutions that create new knowledge and don't just transmit old knowledge uh, to their students. Um, Universities can also really play an important role in helping countries solve their problems and certainly here in the Gulf, uh, in the long-term transition to economies that aren't dependent on oil, I would hope that universities could help incubate new ideas and inventions for generating income and alternative energy sources. Singapore is managed uh, without any mineral resources or even a decent water supply to attract business in part by creating a small, well-trained labor force. It can be done. At the same time, I worry that some higher education institutions become too research-focused. Professors are judged only on how many papers they publish, uh, uh, may have little incentive to become great teachers. Uh, in my role as a journalist, I, I once met the president of the university where my daughter studied. It was Fairleigh Dickinson University in uh, New Jersey. And I didn't tell him this. I just was quizzing him about the university. Uh, and, and about. I started asking him about its research strengths and what areas were they strongest in and so on. And then at some point he came back and fairly firmly said, um, uh, we are a teaching university. And I actually took great comfort in that um, because uh, my daughter was there and I, I wanted her uh, to be around uh, professors who made teaching their primary role. Um, some there, on, the, on the other hand, uh, some heavily research-focused institutions do create uh, separate positions or create a kind of uh, tenure track for professors who can focus on teaching. Without being held to publishing quotas, uh, this seems like a good idea to me uh, as long as their performance is re- is reviewed um, and I'd also while I'm talking about the subject of research, I think it's almost it's important to talk about uh, the dreaded issue of uh, university rankings which you uh, people ultimately uh, get around to asking me about. Um, Rankings really strongly favor research because research can be easily measured in terms of things like how much a professor's publications are cited by others in footnotes and so forth. There's a whole industry that's really sprung out sprung up around trying to measure these things. Um, but um, I believe that uh, particularly in the Arab region where the majority of countries are really struggling with the quality of their universities, it makes me sad, frankly, Uh, to see universities cozying up to the rankings companies. These are commercial enterprises that make their money from advertising and from um, consulting contracts, I believe. Uh, And they're often consulting for the universities that they rank, which I view as a conflict of interest. Um, There are ways to game the rankings, and some of them are very cynical ones. Um, For instance, uh, you can simply... Uh, Let students who are not qualified to really get into your university go ahead and apply, and then you're rejecting a larger proportion of the students who apply, and you uh, therefore become a more highly selective institution, which is one of the things that the rankings look at. And while, you know, some flagship universities in each country should be striving to do world-class research, what I believe many Arab universities need to do is really improve the quality of their teaching. But in any case, in terms of our own coverage of um, research, our research reporter got off to a rough start initially. Uh, Again, I think that... um, Arab researchers weren't used to somebody calling them up or emailing them out of the blue and saying that he wanted to write about their, their research in a way that was uh, accessible to the general public. A few suspiciously asked him if he expected them to pay him, uh, which he didn't, of course, um, but uh, apparently that is a practice that goes on sometimes. Um, in China, there's something called soft journalism, where the journalists get paid to Write certain things, but we certainly don't operate that way. Um, It was hard to find Arab researchers doing good work, and that wasn't because there aren't any. Um, But the problem is that what they're doing isn't always being uh, promoted or publicized, uh, and it's not always sitting out there on the internet. Uh, And journalism about research, uh, like journalism about education, is also relatively rare in the region, so we couldn't look at what was being written elsewhere, we had to essentially go straight to the primary source. Uh, in fairness, there is um, there is also Nature Middle East, which is based in Cairo, um, uh, but that is basically about it that I, I am familiar with. The factor that really helped to make a difference, however, was that we did we did or do have a modest travel budget and our research reporter has traveled um, far and wide, visited a lot of countries, and slowly built a network of sources. I was actually talking about this. was one of Justin's students today who was being frustrated by the fact that people wouldn't um, answer her email. Um, and um, you ultimately wind up having to talk to people um, Uh, face-to-face and then slowly with each person you talk to you also ask them who else is doing good work. Um, The Arab Council for Social Sciences in Beirut has also been uh, of some help in introducing us um, to people. Um, So our research reporters tackled a wide variety of subjects, musicology in Oman, research on cutting down pollution in Beirut, Um, a survey of space science in the Arab region, which had no idea existed. Uh, We did two workshops in partnership with Lebanese American University uh, for Arab journalists who are interested in writing about research. Um, And I remember for the first one, we asked the public health department at uh, AUB to take a look at patterns of disease. Um, uh, Essentially, uh, what are global norms or global averages for different diseases, and how do Arab countries vary for that? This seemed like it would be, help us to point us towards things that we should be, we should be covering. Um, um, at the last moment, however, to our frustration, um, uh, they backed out and ultimately kind of sent, sent some people who sort of lectured us about, uh, <sighs> how to do our jobs, which we felt we, we already knew. So for the second workshop that we did, um, I asked uh, our reporter, I said, okay, you, why don't we do it? We will look through the data ourselves. We'll try to find whatever regional data we can on patterns for disease, and we'll look at probably mostly World Health Organization uh, patterns and, and try to sift it out ourselves. What he found... And then he so after a couple, he said, "Okay, he was game, which was great." And then um, after two or three days, he came back to me and said he'd found a slightly surprising or odd thing in the data. Um, And what he found essentially was this: was this, and I'll sort of quote quickly from the uh, one sentence from the top of the article Um, in the Middle East and North Africa, deaths from AIDS between 2000 and 2015 rose by 274% according to, according to estimates from WHO. And that's although the number of deaths worldwide from AIDS fell by 27% over the same period. So we sort of accidentally discovered or discovered this big spike, um, which we didn't know exist. Now, some of the reason the percent increase was so high was that there were so few deaths from AIDS prior to that. Um, but I use that basically just an example of how there's very important and basic work, um, even medicine, which tends to be pretty well covered, that isn't getting much attention. Um, We did go on to do an article about that. um, And we did find uh, an Arab researcher who was actually at Harvard Medical School who had also noticed it and was studying it. Um, I also have... I mean, one of the reasons I think that uh, writing about research is important, not just for us, but hopefully for other publications, uh, <clears throat> is that I have difficulty seeing how young people can be encouraged to take up careers in science, math, or, or other kinds of research uh, unless they hear about other Arabs who are are working, ideally as researchers in the Arab world, being financed by Arab institutions. Um, be they government or private, and who are working on uh, region-relevant research um, or participate or participating in global teams working on global problems. I guess this would be sort of the role model um, problem um, that you need. Uh, some, I think some of the people are there. They just need um, to be a um, uh, bit more public or there, there needs to be more sort of public support for them. Um, certainly, the financing of research is a major problem. There is no National Institutes of Health, no National Science Foundation, no Wellcome Trust operating across the Arab region. There are some national efforts of varying quality, but funding is a real and very tough problem. Um, we hear stories over and over again of researchers paying for research out of their own pocket. Um, well, research was a topic that I felt was a natural subject for Alfinar to cover because it was kind of almost instantly connected to Arab universities. There were other topics, uh, such as Arab literature, visual arts, and publishing uh, that I longed to cover, but where I struggled to find connections to universities. I have not been able to find, for instance, the Arab equivalent of creative writing programs uh, or having resident writers. I'm happy to stand corrected if these do exist. Design seems to be a popular field of study, but Arab visual artists don't usually seem to come out of that university setting, but rather to be self-taught. If this was just a question of me pursuing my own interests, I would have dropped it. Uh, but again, my Arab colleagues felt the same way. So we've plunged ahead It's sometimes largely using internal fun- funding to cover some of these fields. I mean, having the right writers makes all the difference. And I often say that our, our biggest problem is, is people, um, <clears throat> not money. Finding the right people, talented people is, can be a struggle. Um, But fortunately, Ursula Lindsay, who's based in Morocco and lived in Cairo for many, many years, does uh, many of our articles on publishing, writing in a format that I would call reported opinion, where she does research but then ultimately forms her own conclusions. Um, She speaks both Arabic and French, and she did an article with a question mark title as one example of her work, Why Don't Arabs Read?, I don't think I would have had the nerve to write that headline in twenty twelve um, but the article tried to tackle on, head on the question that is often raised uh and also to write about to explore issues with book publishing in the region where print runs usually don't top uh three thousand um, She did also look at programs designed to encourage reading uh and um her Ended with this sentence, uh, the region has a deep historic relationship with a written word and a rich literary heritage. Books are respected, but what is missing from the, readied, the reading experience may be something very simple, joy. Also, more recently, uh, Heba El-Kael, an Egyptian-American who is currently based in Cairo but travels relentlessly to the world's art centers, including the Emirates, has a master's degree in art history. Um, Together, we're trying to create art journalism that will help create an educated audience that approaches art with some sense of its historical and regional context. She did a a recent profile, for instance, of the Palestinian-American artist Samia Halabi, and I really learned a lot from Heba in working on that piece. Uh, The last sentence of the story was this, Uh, The support of galleries in the Middle East in more recent years has brought Samia Halaby, a new community of Arab artists and aficionados to engage with. She is connected with others who believe, as she does, that abstract art is not just an expression of the painter's mind, but an advanced way to represent reality. Soon after its founding, or just a couple of years after its founding, often our media also had to respond to the, or responded to the refugee crisis. Um, in the beginning, we sort of felt like it didn't have much to do with us. It seemed more about people who were out of higher education rather than in it. Um, my... Managing editor, uh, who I've mentioned previously, Rasha Fayek, was invited to an edu- uh, a conference about education and emergencies in Brussels. And she looked around, and she was basically like, "There's no Arabs here. There's only there was a woman from the Arab League, uh, and that was about it." And she came back from that meeting, and we chatted a bit, <clears throat> and um, we decided to have an event, basically. Based in, and also a lot of the discussion at that meeting was essentially about um, giving Syrians and other refugees scholarships in Western countries, which is an extremely expensive um, endeavor. Uh, and the reality is that the bulk of Syrians were in Jordan, um, uh, Turkey, and Lebanon. Uh, but there was little discussion about trying to provide educational access for Syrians in those countries. Um, so we had an event in Istanbul. We ultimately uh, had two more uh, one in Amman uh, at the time, Istanbul was relatively was a different place than it is today let 's say that um, and was also an easy place for all people from all Arab uh, countries to come from. I mean, I do think that those events were important in kick starting um, some of the larger scholarship programs that have since then scaled up the Dutch NGO uh, spark has is trying to reach a goal of 10,000 scholarships um, the European Union Madad um, fund has a couple hundred million dollars which they have poured into this area um, subsequent to that we've tried to um, broaden that coverage to uh, include not just uh, sort of what I think of as being card-carrying refugees who the UNHCR has necessarily certified as being refugees, but also the other young people living in the conflict-affected countries, Yemen, Libya, uh, Palestine, of course, and Iraq, um, and bring attention um, to the many motivated young people who just don't have a way to get into education. Also, those people who are creating, I mean, it's also to a certain degree, I'm going to make fun of this word later, but a driver of innovation of ways to get education out to young people with with minimal um, resources. And uh, more recently, in kind of recognition of the fact that... uh, a lot of money and time has been spent on refugees, but little on displaced persons. And given, for instance, in fact, that's in Syria you have roughly 4 million refugees, um, 6 million internally displaced. We've tried to see if there are ways that we could, in a politically neutral way, engage um with higher education inside Syria. So we had a workshop in May uh, in Beirut uh, in which we tried to bring a a handful of or a small number of professors and students from Syria together with organizations, international organizations that might in the long run be interested in working with them. Um, And some of it to a certain degree, it was like proof of concept, like could we actually get people across the border um, in, into Beirut, and could we bring everybody together to talk? And ultimately, it, um, the, it did work. We got a lot of information, um, which and we published a report um, about how much was functioning. The Syrians are actually very proud that they, the universities have kept on and kept going and not closed down um, during this time period. I think they've some of them have only been closed maybe a day during the whole eight years or so. Um, and there's been a ripple effect uh, from that meeting of, of increased contact. Certainly people are very concerned about appearing to support um, the Syrian government, uh, but they are trying to look at ways to engage with students and professors as as individuals. And there was a meeting that flowed out of our meeting a little bit in uh, Brussels uh, on Monday, actually, which a colleague of mine attended um, because I um, was gonna be here, at which there was discussion about getting broader European support um, for uh, professors and young people inside Syria. I also, one of my reporters also recently went to uh Mosul, and we have an unpublished uh story about that in the works. Um, he flew first into Kurdistan and then just went across to the University of Mosul for the day. And it was really interesting getting a firsthand report uh from what was going on there. And to a certain essentially what's happened is that. The people are, from what he said, the people are back. So, the overwhelming bulk of the professors are back, um, in part because they're not going to pay their salary unless they come back to teach, um, and also uh, the overwhelming majority of the students are there. The reality is, however, a lot of the buildings are flattened. Um, the library, as some of you might know, has been was burned. Um, But the question for it, I think, and some of the other universities that have been caught in these conflicts will be, are they just going to return to what they were before, or is there going to be some discussion now sort of building back better? Um, And we sort of at Alphanara Media would just sort of like to stimulate some discussion about, um, you know, how could you recreate what was there before, uh, but make it even higher quality. And if if there's ways to get rid of some of these things that um, people have been criticizing uh, Arab education for, like a lack of critical thinking and so on, um, now would be a great time to do that. Um, So um, I will get to the part of the talk, the gut at my head part of my talk. So if somebody was forcing me to make recommendations reluctantly what would I say um and these are not all um they're not what one of my old English professors would call parallel they're of slightly different uh uh, kinds um first of all I cringe every time I hear the trite phrase there's a mismatch between the between the um the output of Arab higher education in the labor market. Um, I think that language really supports the ideas that universities are producing graduates who are sort of tab that fits into a slot, uh, which is the needs of corporations, small business, and government. Um, I feel that this language really minimizes the richness that an education can bring um, to your life. I also believe that the labor market focus minimizes uh, broad skills that are enormously important in the practical world. Um, The ability, you'll see my bias here, but the ability to communicate well, both in speech and writing, for example, is one that every single student should have when they graduate. Um, And having that, the ability to write well has just helped me be a journalist. It's also when I came to my current job, helped me really to be a fundraiser and to galvanize people around the vision that we had. Um, And I also think it's useful in terms of when people get in a professional environment, convincing their colleagues. Um, So I worry when people talk about just narrow skills. Um, I do tend to look at When I'm thinking about some of these recommendations, because I've spent more time in the private foundation setting or being familiar with what private foundations can do, I'm a bit more tilted in that direction than in sort of what governments can do. But I see that um, donors are often driven by the desire to make large-scale change or the hope that they could somehow make large-scale change. Um, and they're even forced by the boards of directors, in case of nonprofit foundations, to really to kind of make sweeping initiatives um, costing millions of dollars with big press announcements. And then there's not always uh, there can be whispers or silence when later on when you're trying to figure out if a project worked out. Um, so the bullet point here is sort of micro versus macro. I often feel that a small pilot, in one course an effort a change in one course or one program with some kind of careful assessment whether qualitative or quantitative could in the end produce much better broader change and investment and sometimes it's just investing in professors or students uh, who sometimes has um, those people who have energy or interest in making a difference and i've certainly met um, some of those people in my travels. Um, a, a one thing, I guess this is a bit more about what I think Arab higher education shouldn't become. I think there's a bit of a myth around entrepreneurship. Um, I hear a lot of spending and effort going in to encourage Arab youth to be entrepreneurs either in formal university programs or in informal programs, I worry a little bit that this could be sort of blaming the victim. That is, if you haven't gotten a job, you should create one. Um, In many Arab countries, the conditions for entrepreneurs haven't really been created. um, And those conditions really are outside of university control. Investors need to be able to recoup some of their money. Intellectual property has to be protected um, and so forth. Um, and even in countries where entrepreneurship has worked, there's a bit of a backlash on the idea of universities throwing themselves into entrepreneurship centers. Um, a recent commentary in my old employer, the Chronicle of Higher Education, had bore the headline, Enough with all of the innovation. Uh, in the piece, an English professor makes kind of a hum- humorous and intelligent argument that there's really little proof that some of these entrepreneurship centers work. Um, I'm not completely discounting this idea. I certainly um, uh, love the idea of entrepreneurship. I potentially could be labeled as one uh, myself, uh, but I just think it should be approached with caution. Um, I guess scholarships are not a cure. Um, There's an enormous shortage of scholarships to a certain degree for talented Arab young people born to poor middle-class families to study when and where they want we literally get a handful of emails every day from students who mistakenly think we can hand out scholarships um, uh, <clears throat> but at the same time uh, some of the scholarship programs are just aren't flexible enough to help some of the students who who do need help um, they'll set up rigid conditions which are needed because it's easier to say yes or no to students, but then they're not ready when students come along with different kinds of needs. I knew uh, a Palestinian Syrian young woman who um, uh, managed to get into Columbia University's journalism program, my old program. She was based in Germany, and she really had enormous difficulty getting help, and it was only really when basically a bunch of people sort of cobbled together some help for, um, that she was able to go. She's now working for Reuters. Uh, this fall we recently got, we got a plea from, uh, a, another Palestinian woman who was working on cancer genetics in Germany. Um, she already had funding to go through to get a PhD. Um, but she got an opportunity to do a one year fellowship at Harvard. Um, And Harvard was giving her, you know, for Harvard, a big discount and other, you know, other kinds of support, but she still needed something like $10,000. But the scholarship programs just aren't set up to help those kind of customized cases um, of people who actually could use quite a bit of help. Um, And also, I think a lot of these programs, scholarships isn't enough. I was really happy to hear today. Um, that there's a writing center um, that students can go to for help if they're writing on a particular course. Um, in the Arab Crossroads program, you have a methods course, is that right, or something similar to that, where students are really taught how to go about research. Um, universities need a lot of this um, kind of broader uh, um, broader support. Um, to wrap around, to help, to help students. Um, I mean, lastly, when, and this really fits into, uh, the whole thread of my talk. I think it really, um, Arab countries need a wider ecosystem for educated adults, not just better universities. Um, this is evident in Abu Dhabi with its museums and so forth, but sadly lacking in many other locations. Um, students in some countries have to pay to get access to British Council libraries because they have no libraries of their own. Um, uh, museums uh, are well; they're there. They don't always have the uh, labels or context for what they're displaying. Uh, most Arab universities don't have university presses, which I think can play a fantastic role in, uh, publishing books that, uh, doing a mix of publishing books that nobody else will publish about important academic topics and also publishing, um, uh, academics writing on more popular topics, um, I mean, essentially, we can't bemoan the fact that there isn't a reading culture in the Arab world if there is no support of independent publishers of books and journals. So I'll stop there. I hope this uh, voyage has has been interesting. Uh, it's certainly been a fascinating one for me, and, and um, we're going to move on from here. Um, we have a uh, survey. We've... We've got an unpublished survey of the gender of university presidents uh, in the 22 Arab countries that we expect to publish soon. So we'll hope to spark some debate about the need for more um, women leaders. Um, and there's many other, many other subjects that we hope to, to push on. Happy to entertain questions, or even better, have some discussion about any of the things that I've brought up.